Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. That's us. And for the faithful, that's you. I'm David Staples, the Edmonton Journal, here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Bruce, I'm doing well because we have a kind of, kind of a variation of our standard Oilers game broadcast. Two good things, two numbers, and two bad things. I, I screwed that up. Two, two good things, two bad things, <laughs> and two while. numbers. It is. It, we're all a little rusty. Uh, so yeah, that that was a the, the orders had a scrimmage today in Team Orange five, Team White two was the final score. Uh, it was an inter- yeah, like, I'll just say, Bruce, it was an interesting viewing experience. I noticed there's about twenty seven hundred fans watching it, maybe a bit more than that, like in in the live stream count that I saw. Oh, yeah. Every it was the Colby Cave Memorial Fun Game, and Emily Cave was on hand uh, in honor of her, her deceased husband, former writer Colby Cave, who who died at twenty five, and that's a great thing that they did. Um, every player, Bruce, uh, was wearing number twelve in honor of Colby, and the reason they did that was to they're going to auction off the sweaters. All those sweaters will be auctioned off, which is a hell of a, a hell of a good idea. It did make it a little hard, like if I'm completely honest, it made it a little hard for, at least on the internet, and, and Jack Michaels, the Oilers announcer, mentioned this as well, kind of mental, made a gentle mention of it was a little difficult to track the play mm-hmm, uh, with that. everybody wearing number 12, and I would certainly concur with that. I was struggling to, to figure out who was who, although I kind of by the end of the game, by the end of the game, when everyone was going at half speed on the ice, I was able to track it more easily. Mm-hmm. How did you find it? Uh, much the same. I mean, all those all those 12s were, uh, as you say, a very good cause, and, and uh, I'm good on them for for doing something. And yeah, and the sweaters will, you know, they will, they I'm sure will be auctioned off for probably pretty good value because they each had the name bar of the of the individual player on it. So if you're close enough to read the name bars, then maybe you'd have a chance. But uh, from a distance, you know, you, when the puck's swirling around the ice like that, and I mean, uh, they were, um, you know, it was just hard to track who was who. There's some guys you cannot mistake, or there'd be certain moments in play where that can only be McDavid, you know, that uh, with the puck. But there were lots of other times, and you know, I haven't seen these guys skate for, for what, four and a half months now. So it's not like it's I watched them play the other day and today they're playing they're they got weird uniforms on. It's like it's been a while and sort of and some of them are new guys that aren't necessarily on the team. So yeah. it, it was it was tough. I was relying on Jack Michaels and uh uh he was kind of zoned in and out of the game a little bit, just talking a little bit about camp, a little bit about next week's series. Well while the plays in process uh, that's less helpful than it would be to just talk about what's going on because I, you know, as many fans, I'm sure we're having trouble. But so it is. He would be rusty as well. And the purpose of bringing all this up is we're just trying to say like our take on the game isn't what we might hope it to be because oh. we weren't always sure. So we're not going to talk about every player, for instance, because I, you know, I can't. Like I can't tell you what every player did. I was half the time just trying to keep up. And I don't know about on your computer, but my at one point my play-by-play was about five seconds delayed as well. So which Made it doubly oh, yeah. frustrating. Anyway, all that aside, it was an interesting thing to watch, and some players really did stick out, Bruce. Um, so we're going to go with two good things each and two bad things. We're not going to have any numbers uh, at all for today's game. I'll start with my first good thing, Bruce, and um, it's Ethan Bear and the other young defenseman on that team. I thought Ethan Bear was the most noticeable player on the ice. He's a very distinctive player on the ice. 
Yes. Uh, with his long dark dark hair, he's not particularly huge in stature. He's kind of like wide in stature, but he just was fantastic uh, all practice long, uh, all scrimmage long. Just just like a ten year veteran, quickly reading every place, just reading it, reacting, getting right in the spot, shutting it down. And uh, young uh, defenseman prospect Philip Broberg had the very good fortune to be paired with uh, Ethan Bear which makes things a lot easier. And Broberg, Broberg was really good. He made a, he scored a nice goal. He had some nice rushes with the puck. Evan Bouchard, uh, I thought, looked good as well. There was one play. He was in the second period. He was try, the puck got shot into his own zone. He goes back and he tracks it. And without looking, he made this backhand pass up the middle of the ice for a, a neutral zone breakout, which was like, it was an amazing play i thought actually mm-hmm. um for him to hit that guy right on the stick uh with a backhand pass was an amazing play by evan bouchard now a second later he was getting roughed up in front of the net by alex chase on and not giving it back so um that's going to be bouchard's challenge but he, right. he is an immense talent C- caleb jones looked really fine out there on the ice as well he was um he, you know he was had COVID, he, which I don't know how sick he got. I don't think he got very sick, according to his own report. But he was, he was uh, missed some training camp and ice time because of it. But he looked really good out there. So, Bruce, they have these four young defensemen like, to, to, to die for. Like, that kind of defensive depth as an NHL GM, that is to die for as an NHL GM. And it's something that we haven't had in Edmonton since the, the 1980s, frankly. Maybe that maybe maybe the Marinov group, Hammerdeck, Marinov, Ninema, Brewer, Pody in there. Yeah, those are all pretty good young defensemen yeah. as well. So uh, that might be a better comparison than the '80s group. Uh, although that's just we'll leave it at that. Like let's not get well, it. Well, we haven't got any Hall of Famers in here just yet. Well, that's so. it. It's a little. I don't <laughs> want to jump the gun on on but that. But comparing of, them as a young group. To the uh, turn of the century uh, group of the uh, 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 Hammerlick. Well, Hammerlick got traded for Brewer. There's, they weren't ever all here at once, but the Oilers had three or four very good young defensemen simultaneously, and, and uh, uh, that's pro- that's probably a pretty good comp. These guys are yeah. are just emerging. I mean, two of them are rookies this year, and the other two of them are futures with first round talent, but we'll see if all four of them work out. But uh, off of what I saw today, I'm not going to say this one or that one isn't going to work out because they all look pretty good. Bruce, I don't know what, where this leaves you. There's like Chris Russell and Matt Benning um, are two solid veteran players, but, you know, but I, if, 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 if Tippett was to say, I'm going to roll the dice and go with, uh, let's say, Caleb Jones and Evan Bouchard as my third pairing. Like, would I be upset about that? I, like, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't be upset about it. And I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think that's going to happen at all. But I just think these young players, they're going to, it's going to force change on the Oilers' blue line. I'm, I'm more, con- like, just one scrimmage, you know, and everyone, everyone criticized uh, Mark Spector this week when after a few scrimmages, he said Brobarg, Broberg had risen above Bouchard and others on the depth chart. So I'm guilty of the same thing right now, but um, this has been building for a while. We have a body of work with Evan Bouchard that we've seen with Caleb Jones. I just think it, 
we're seeing a changing the guard before our eyes, and I, I'm not sure how long uh, Matt Benning and Chris Russell are with the Oilers after this playoffs. Well, yeah, their contracts are going to force the issue uh, next year at latest for Russell. Yeah. Uh, in a sense, it's forcing the issue now. I think the Oilers would like to divest that contract this summer. But um, uh, Benning, uh, who knows how it's going to turn out, but there are uh, there certainly are lots of candidates um, bubbling under. And you can see that in two or three years, the shape of this team's defense, and I'm not sure that either of Chris Russell or Matt Benning fit in that picture. Certainly not Russell. And, uh, you know, they've got... And it's such a young group, you know. I mean, there were, there were times at the end of the season when Russell wasn't dressing where the oldest defenseman they had on the ice was Adam Larson, 27 years old. You know, and they had Clefbaum at 26 and Nurse turning 25 at some point in there. And, and uh, uh, Baron Jones, of course, were both 22 this year. And it was just a, you know, it was just a young, uh, young group all the way around. I was loath to see last summer Andre Sekera get moved out. I still thought he had gas in the tank for the Oilers. Mm-hmm. And there's consequences with the buyout as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, in the end, I understood that move because I, if you're going to properly develop an NHL team, you have to make space for players. And if Sekera doesn't get moved out, there's a chance Ethan Bear never Doesn't gets that opportunity or Caleb Jones never gets that opportunity. You've got to keep, and I think Ken Holland's talked about this. You've got to keep changing the team or actually it was a Scotty Bowman, maybe Ken Holland, but Scotty Bowman was talking about this in the Ken Dryden book. Uh, that just the need to you, the team always has to change. It, it just does. And this is an, this is an indication of that. This team's going to have to change and we'll see what, see what happens going forward. Yeah, well, Secker and bear, for instance, um, uh, the Oilers would have paid, uh, would have had a cap of 5.5 million on Secra this this year. Uh, they saved three million off the cap hit, and they paid 720 thousand dollars for Bear. So you could say Bear replaced Secra, plus they got over 2.2 million in cap space out of the buyout, and that's still having to pay Secra a big chunk. They're still ahead of the, of the game on the cap because they were able to replace him so cheaply. Yeah, I think the same's going to happen this summer. They're one or both. We're going to see some movement and holes opening up because there's certainly players. It's evident there's players that are they're they're ripe. They're ready to go to take those spots. Caleb Jones being at the top of that list, of course, and Loggison was not right. bad that game either. Yeah, you know, I, I like, liked I liked Loggison and Saskatchewan's yeah. game. I thought he looked good. And Evan Bouchard, there was there was one play that Jack Michaels pointed out, and he was correct that. Uh, he was maybe just, he, he's so calm in, in the game, and he was maybe a bit too calm, not quite urgent enough that he said he has to up, step up his urgency because he nearly got trapped on a hard forecheck in the neutral zone. And if he had got trapped, you know, breakaway probably or, you know, jailbreak. And and he did he did get away with it, but uh, Michael's correctly criticized the, the, the play and said he's going to have to step it up. And... That, I think we saw some of that in the AHL last year, in the first half of the year, that uh, Bouchard, you know, was sort of the new pace. You you know, instead of having a beat, you got three quarters of a beat. Well, in the NHL, maybe you got half a beat. And you, you, when you learn how to play the, at, the, at the speed, you, you know when to take advantage of 
when you've got time on your side. And if you have a guy that's completely calm and able to take advantage of that time, I, I think of, you know, as a master of the craft, Chris Pronger, as a guy, you know, whatever time he had, he used it all, right? And I see Bouchard as being that kind of player, but he's got to learn that the, that the, the free beat that he gets at the beginning of the possession is a quicker beat than it was at other levels of hockey that he's played. So that, that urgency part is something he's still got to step up and he's got to be urgent and yet keep his calm and his composure at the same time. He's just got to find that slightly quicker, keep doing what he's doing. It was a Doug Harvey is the first player who was described as, pl- as playing in the rocking chair. Is, it, is that the, that's, is that's where that term comes from? Does it not? I believe, I yeah, it, yeah. It, it certainly fits. Of playing in the rock, I know our friend Lotai talks about playing in the rocking chair, and he does refer to it, uh, Chris Pronger, but uh, uh, others, but Doug Harvey, yeah, that's a, that's the perfect description of the of the uh, Doug Harvey, that especially the one I remember was very near the end of his career when I started watching, so he was particularly old and slow and savvy at that particular point in time. Scotty Bowman described Doug Harvey this way, Bruce. That, that he didn't say these words, but the that rocking chair never left the porch because in the defensive zone, apparently, <laughs> Doug Harvey would camp out in front of the net, and his uh-huh. partner, I think it was uh-huh. Dollard Saint Laurent, uh, uh-huh. would go when the puck was in the corner, either corner. It was Saint Laurent's job to go to either corner and battle for the puck, and Harvey would just stay there in front of the net. And uh-huh. if you came there, bam, that's when he was on you. But that. Uh-huh. I don't think that would fly in today's NHL. The game doesn't really, it's a little faster than that. I don't think you could get away with that uh, <laughs> that kind of arrangement right now. Well, the other thing Harvey was noted for, one of the other things he was noted for, was he cut the palms out of his gloves. So uh, he just kind of so lay his glove on a guy, and it would just look like he was pushing him, but actually his <laughs> hand would come out, and he'd actually grab the guy by the sweater and <laughs> hang on tight, but he'd go nowhere. And it was just funny. You couldn't see it, right, because it was on the underside of his uh, hockey gloves. But Do you, did, like I don't remember. Pack. Did you remember watching him play, Bruce? I, I've never, Harvey, I have oh, no sure. memory. I've never, I've never saw him oh, play. Sure. Well, he played for, he played for Scotty Bowman in St. Louis yeah. in 67, 68. And he was like 43 years old at that time. And he played monsters. Like, apparently he played over 40 minutes in their game seven double overtime win over the North Stars. that got them to the Stanley Cup final when uh, uh, Ron Schock scored the winning goal for St. Louis. Remember, they didn't televise. They didn't televise a single Western Conference playoff game at that time. But it was big. I mean, it got them into the Stanley Cup finals. And they had a bunch of old Habs in, uh, in St. Louis of whom Red Berenson was the youngest, but they had a, they had a bunch of uh, you know I think was Dickie Moore there. They had uh, uh, they had a few uh, a right, few of, Mars, the, eh? of the yeah uh, he he wasn't a have but uh, no they had uh, anyway they had and then of course they got Jacques Plante the year after that. But uh, Doug Harvey was the oldest of the old Habs, and I'm pretty sure he was 43 in the '68 playoffs when. Uh, when they went to the finals, so what is your good thing, Bruce? First oh, good thing. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to go with this Connor McDavid guy. You know, he—it's uh, amazing, really. Uh, like there was a couple of times where he just imposed himself on the game, and he just took it over, and especially so on one shift that uh, led to—I uh, uh, believe it was the goal that. 
snap the one-one tie and put his put his team ahead to stay. Not that the context really matters, but the game was really a tough defensive battle for quite a while up until then. And he just decided one shift he got a hold of the puck and he was going to keep a hold of it till it was in the net. <laughs> and that's more or less what happened. That's he what James Neal's fabulous stick handling sequence. And the first uh, uh, the first one didn't pan out, and somehow the puck went right back to McDavid and he dangled it again and he fed. I think it was Neal for pretty much the yeah. the tap in, and it was it was just a glorious sort of. T- 25 second maybe just display of dominance almost keep away by uh, by mcdavid on t- and just the the deftness of his touch like it's not just controlling the puck but oh he's going to lose oh no he didn't lose it he still got it look at that and the other guy's in the corner <laughs> he's uh he's got uh, and he does this deft uh dangling at such a, a tremendous high rate of speed, you know, like he, he makes it look so easy. You, you know, you really need slow motion and two or three replays to see everything that went on in there. And of course, we had none of that. But I sort of gasped a couple of times on those, uh, 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 on that sequence in particular. And just a couple other times. I, another thing I noticed with McDavid, and there's two plays where it actually didn't work, but uh, could have worked. R&H, on McDavid's line now, where the puck came to him and he instantly chipped it ahead into the neutral zone where McDavid was steaming ahead. And it was just a matter of the puck went over a stick the one time. And I can't remember what went wrong the other time. It didn't quite click, but it just, uh, knew just realization, get that puck anywhere out there in the free zone, you know, and let Connor skate onto it. If you can hit him directly with the pass, so much the better. But, but, not the, the new sort of controlling the puck and looking for the pass, but sort of re- right away recognizing where the opportunity is, which is behind the defense of the other team and getting the puck in there. So that's something that we can keep watching for as these two play together in the coming weeks. That'll work. Oh. That'll work. That'll work. Yeah, Bruce, I, later, that third goal seemed to change the tone of the game, Niels it became very loosey goosey by the end of that game. Like it was, it was like, they almost, it's like, like I know playing adult pickup hockey now gets tired and it had that feel to it. Like very everyone's cool. getting tired here and just kind of <laughs> farting around at the end of that game. But it was, it was fairly intense for the first mm-hmm. half of the game. And, uh, you know, I was, yeah. I, I've been skeptical about the lines that they're using. Um, especially when they had a fantasy U with drive settle and Yamamoto. I'm just, I don't mind a fantasy as a player yet, but I'm not sure how he fits in yet with the two best centers on the team. Um, and I, but I really love Tyler Ennis with Yamamoto and dry settle. I think that line can work. And obviously Nugent Hopkins can really help McDavid. So I can see what the, I think the coach has something now that, that I think could work and make sense to me. The Athanasiu um, thing didn't make sense. I want to th- see Andreas Athanasio score some goals, you know, on the third or fourth line. Like, show, you know, hustle, make some plays, earn your way up, figure it out, rather than be gifted a spot in the top six, because that's not on in these playoffs at this point. So, uh, Bruce, my second good thing, what is my second good thing? Oh, yeah. It's James Neal who scored that goal. That whole, I thought that whole grind line, they, they, they were, they actually looked like a, like a first line in the NHL, which speaks to the quality of the pickup game that they had there. Right. Uh, but, but you know, Tippett has talked a number of times about how he's pretty keen about this line, who only played together 30 minutes. 
this season, and, and they outscored the opposition 3 nothing in those 30 minutes. But that came right at the end of the year. He happened on this line of James Neal, Jujur Kara, and Alex Chason. And I I can see it working for the playoffs. James Neal does, Bob Stoffer mentioned, um, that Neal does look different right now. And Katie. he's probably... He's probably healthy again. He like he, you know, he's an older body. He gets banged up as the year goes on. I I see James Neal having a big playoff, and you know, point every second game would be a big playoff for him, and and possibly moving up into the top six as this goes along. But I like that line today. They were snarly and they were good. And um, Kara looked good. I thought Kara looked good. Yeah, we're all. I'm surprised. Sorry, that's kind of nasty of me, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Because he, he has it, he didn't look particularly good lots this year. But but he's playing center when, uh, on that particular group. Yeah. Anyway, just uh, he caught my eye in, in a positive way today a few times, and uh, you know a couple of decent plays with the puck, but some decent plays away from the puck as well. And, uh, he's a big nasty guy, and uh, you know it's, it's, he just sometimes you think he has to remember to bring the nasty because that's when he's at his best is when he's playing with a little edge on his game. Yeah. But <clears throat> it's. Uh, it's a remarkable thing, you know, that fourth line. One of the reasons that I think we're going to see him play together is they all have the, the roles on special teams with Neil and Chason switching out in the net front role on power play and Kara being a key penalty killer. And, you know, out of in the NHL, if you look at the at the uh, league-wide in the NHL, I wrote about this a while back, that if you look at special teamers with 90 minutes or more on their special teams, which is something over 200 NHLers on both the PK or the power play, that the number one guy in the entire NHL for goals for on the ice goals for for 60 minutes on the power play, Alex Chason, Edmonton Oilers fourth liner, and the number one guy in the entire NHL for fewest goals against while shorthanded per 60 minutes, Jujar Kara, Edmonton Oilers' fourth liner. Now, that's a nice fourth line. Because <laughs> that's measuring. I mean, it's not just their own contributions, as you've said many times, but what happens when they're on the ice has been good things. The team scored on the power play. They've, they've succeeded on the penalty kill with these fourth liners on there. And I think that's going to ensure that they're in the lineup. Even as some say that, you know, maybe this guy Negard is a popular choice or, you know, someone else needs to get in there. But I don't think Dave Tippett's going to take those guys out of there because he knows how important his special teams are. No, I think Negard's competing with Athanasio at this point, honestly. Yeah. And, and Negard looked good. So did Athanasio. They both looked fine in this, to the extent that I could recognize them on the ice. They looked mm-hmm. fine. Uh, yeah, I, with with Kara, the, the problem remains consistency. He has really good games, really great moments. You know, we, we all watched him in Bakersfield develop, and, man, I thought he was going to be a successful NHL player. Um, if he can be consistent, if he can do get his feet moving every game and, and as you say, re- remind himself to be nasty in the play, he, he's definitely an NHL hockey player. So we're all hoping that he, he does that. Uh, I think he he lost some confidence this year and he struggled at times at even strength. But he was, as you say, a very strong penalty killer. Bruce, what is your second good thing? Okay, I'm really going to take the high road. And after naming Connor McDavid as my surprise good thing, I'm going to go with Leon (laughs) Dreisaitl as my surprise second thing. And just the visual reminder that we have two absolute top, drawer hockey players in this town 
And just to see the quality, Drysaddle is so patient with the puck, and he knows that he can hold on to it as long as he wants to hold on to it. If someone's trying to check him, well, he's got to go through Leon to get to the puck, and that's uh, that's a hard uh, hard road to uh, uh, to get through. I mean, Zach Cassian took a run at him at one point, and Cassian wound up on his ass on the ice, and Leon kept going. Uh, but it's it's he, he has a style that he bosses the game, and it's just so nice to watch it again after all this time, you know, where when he's on the ice, especially now that he's on his own line, he is the man on the ice. He knows it, and everyone else knows it. And it, there's, it, it's, there's something to the body language, but obviously you need the game to support it. He, he does remind me, you know, of the, of the, of the ancient, uh, uh, the big Jew, uh, German sniper of all time, Eric Kuhnhackel. In terms of just, uh, you remember him? He was oh, a yeah. big scoring, huge, like he was a very big man. But he had the same kind of puck prote- protection and sort of when I'm on the ice, I'm, play goes through me, I'm the man, kind of uh, uh, look to him. And maybe it's because he's German that I'm thinking of. I mean, Big Ned was like that a little bit too, right? And Anyway, uh, Leon has that, uh, that, um, that, I guess it's self-awareness of how good he is. And he was doing stuff. I mean, he made a play there late in the game, and it was just sort of fool around time, as you say, where he did a stick handle between his own legs and 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 used it to set up, not a shot, which is what you usually see out of that through the legs move, but a pa- to open the passing lane and complete the pass. Uh, just tricks up the sleeve. And just so much talent. I mean, the goal he scored, the, the wicked shot, he just sort of blew away... Uh, Koskinen, I think it was, from uh, 30, 35 feet, set up in the slot, bam, in the net. And well, he's just a shooter, Bruce. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, as we know. Uh, no, as, we've, as we've heard. That's my cousin, cousin Mika said, yeah. Yeah, he got that got my goat. He, he, remind, <laughs> he reminds me, remember that, uh, to, to draw another German sports analogy from the 1970s and 80s, he reminds me of the soccer player Hans Peter Briegel. Uh-huh. I've mentioned this before. Do you remember Briegel? He was this big, mm-hmm. fast, immensely skilled uh, German midfielder uh, who dominated games uh, mm-hmm. for about a decade for, for the German national team. And uh, Dreisettel has that kind of physicality on the ice. They're very different. You know, Dreisettel's mm-hmm. more of a, you know, the, the mad bomber in terms of distribution of the, of the puck. Right. Briegel was more just a, a force, but Dreisettel is also a force. And uh, he's the, the, these two players are just I'm just extremely bullish on the Oilers uh, for these playoffs, Bruce. I think this team's ready to pop, and I I see it with Ethan Bear, Clefbaum, Larson, Nugent Hopkins, Drysaddle, McDavid. If the goaltending is there, Bruce, this team's going far. Bruce, what was your? Let's just go to your bad thing first. What was your bad thing? Well, my bad thing is any kind of uh, of uh, loss. Of players in a game like this and uh, lo- losing, you know, Darnell Nurse being scratched before the game, which they they identified to something that they actually saw happen in practice on Thursday and that he finished the practice, but he was held out of today's game. So it certainly sounds precautionary and and one would expect that they should be precautionary. But, you know, the Oilers are not the same team without Darnell Nurse. For all that he has his detractors out there, he's a central player of, of, of this team. 
so hopefully that's all it is that it's just a precautionary thing and then Riley Shane got banged up early in the first period and he left and that messed with the line combinations for team white because they all suddenly only had eight forwards which is hard to do and uh, but more to the point he got hurt enough that they pulled it after the first period they said he was done for the day so no news whatsoever and again you hope that's just a minor thing that'll be solved uh shortly but uh you sure don't like seeing guys get banged up in inner squad games yeah bruce uh, i wonder if someone did a venn diagram of the people who don't like uh i don't know if you can see this can you see that yeah uh not really in focus yet all right it's it's a circle with Nurse, Dreisaitl, and Cassian in there. The, the 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 Oiler fans who think those three guys are a bit overrated, I think uh-huh. if you did a Venn diagram of it, it would be like it would just look like a circle. Same because fans. Same fans. All three of those players for some reason, and I'm not sure exactly why. But I'll tell you what: when the going gets tough in the playoffs, um, we are going to be so glad that we have Darnell Nurse, Zach Cassian, and uh, Dry Settle's a little bit different in kind than the other two players. But Cassian and Nurse are similar. You need those (laughs) to win in the playoffs, Bruce. To win in the playoffs, you've got to have those players. You've got to have those players. You've got to have those players. And they've got them. Dry Settle's physicality is more when he he does have the puck. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, right. and he's going to keep the puck no matter what's coming at him. Uh, but all all three for sure are, are and and people who don't you know if you don't like heavy hockey if you don't like banging and crashing, then chances are you know your Venn diagram is going to include a lot of players of that ilk and and uh, they're all the type that if you if you look for mistakes yeah sure they make them. And if you know if you, if you mark your scoreboard well on, the, on only the debit side, then they're they're going to have a, they're going to have a few marks over there. But there's so many positives, and there's uh, uh, I mean to me I've been watching hockey since the early 1960s, and it's always had the physical element to it, and and the and the intimidation element to it, and uh, any team that's uh, going to stake a claim to you know making a run at the Stanley Cup it's going to have to have it uh, pretty much too many teams that uh, that uh, didn't have you know some significant element of, uh, of of hard players somewhere in their lineup that were successful the hard men of hockey all right uh, my bad thing is Corey Crawford returning to Chicago I was secretly hoping that he wouldn't because he, listen, it, it, there was there's some debate in Chicago, like, do they really need Corey Crawford? Is he any good? Like, there's a whole faction of fans there who question that. He had like a 918, I think, save percentage this year. As as crack stats analyst Mike Kelly noted, like, this is the was the worst defensive team in the NHL for giving up grade A chances this year. The Chicago Blackhawks, you know, there's just constant passes into the slot through this through the slot for one timer shots. And the Oilers, you know, this could bode well for the Oilers, but Corey Crawford was great, apparently, in that, and Robin Leonard was as well. Now, Leonard's gone, but Crawford's back. And I was hoping that that, that he would not be, but he is. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not hoping that he was injured or anything or sick, right. but I, I was just hoping that, 
I guess I hope I was hoping that he was, so, so that the Oilers wouldn't have to no, face him. I was just, hoping that he was just not going to play. I was hoping that he was tired of just wanted to sit at home because he was making a lot of money and had made his money and wanted to sit at home. Put it that way. Uh, but yeah, well, now you just motivated him, David. I don't think so. He's he's a, he's obviously a very good hockey player. Yeah. And, Apparently, and, uh, he was nine twenty eight after I think after New Year's nine twenty eight, and he was the only. Like a crucial reason Chicago was hanging around in games and kind of a little bit at least hanging in in the standings. And without him, it sounded like they would uh, they would have uh, struggled even more than they did. I'm going to do a post coming up, kind of like the um, Jonathan Willis often talked about this post. I can't remember the term he used for it, but what you do is you you write up you write the post as if the Chicago Blackhawks have won the series. Oh right. And you and you say here's why. So I'm going to do that post as my next post because I think it's worth doing that that post um, just to remind myself and and all other Oilers fans. There's another team here and it's a really really good hockey team with some very dangerous players. So that's what I'm going to be looking at next. I, I wrote about the Hawks about maybe a few days ago, a week ago, about their record and after the hot after the orders were 5 and 0 to start the season they got beat chicago in game 6 and chicago entered that game without a win and edmonton without a loss and chicago won it and from that point which is like middle of october to the end the teams are like 2 points apart so it was you know like edmonton's early winning streak was what kind of elevated them in, in standings and kind of held them ahead of a few teams all you know all year but really from mid october on they were a break even team and the goal differential, Chicago was minus three and Edmonton was even. Again, for, for a chunk of games that incorporates almost the entire season. It's not like you're just picking out a little bit of games. Or it's like the whole the whole schmear minus the first few games, like 95% of the season of the two teams. So it's not that that uh, that big of a gap uh, between them. And I mean, you could you could throw a blanket over the whole you know, anywhere around the playoff cut line from the last four or five teams that make the playoffs to the five that miss, it's only a few points every year. They're all around 550, plus or minus, under the wonderful Bettman point rules that we have. And uh, or <laughs> if you really win that, win 50% of your points, you're losing ground. Anyway, uh, it's uh, they're. They're a decent team, and Corey Crawford's a huge part of that. Like, that really would have made a massive difference had he not been available. But as it is, he's getting a late start. He'll have basically a week of camp, and he'll be thrust into playing games. So he'll be tested. Yeah, but uh, I, I suspect he was on the ice all the time. That he's, you know, he, he's been through this before. I, I suspect he, like he's a real pro, and, and he's he, he'll be good to go and ready to go. So... I expect so too. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's uh, he's been through the wars and uh, uh, he's preparing for another one at this point. Well, now that he's showed up to uh, to practice, I'm expecting full speed ahead, Corey Crawford in the in the playoff series. All right, Bruce. Next up, Tuesday night against the Calgary Flames, and um, I think I'm doing game grades that night, and we'll be doing a podcast after that game. So first. Yes. That's even closer to real hockey than, than today was. And now I'll be wearing different numbers, and they'll even have yes. two different teams, and we'll really be focusing on one of the two teams as opposed to trying to – I find it hard when there's you're trying to watch everybody on the ice on both teams and 
And um, I mean, I do watch what the other team is doing, but I don't really pay a lot of attention to who, which guy's doing what. I'm focused always on my team first, that being the Oilers. So yeah. Today there were Oilers versus Oilers, so I got a little complicated. But, yeah, we'll uh, see. All right. Thanks for talking today, Bruce. Yeah, RIP Colby Cave. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, good for uh, the Oilers for holding a memorial game for him, and I'm sure it'll be an annual event at this point. Wouldn't be surprised at all. All right, thanks again, Bruce. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.